Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Well, welcome to church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. Uh, my wife Hannah and I get the honour of pastoring this incredible church. So good to have you guys here. And uh, we're, right now we're preaching through the book of First John, and it's been incredible. It's been exciting. We're looking at a sub-theme of walking in Him together. And we looked at, I keep saying this just to keep us on the same page, uh, you know, in 2020, the COVID hit, church wasn't allowed to happen anymore, kind of Western worldwide, we saw the numbers of attenders and people actually practicing their faith really, really, really decline. And what that exposes is that there was a lot of Christians, but not many people with a relationship with Jesus. And so last year, we did a whole year of walking in Him. We want us to go deep right into that theme of we are not just called to be Christians, but Little Christs, the term Christians, it's first used in, first, in Acts 11 in Antioch. It's to describe it's this little Christ, this relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in Him at salvation. I'm going to touch on that again today. And then last year, you know, long story short, for me and for us as a church, there was just so much animosity out there online and in the street, the difference. And, and what became pretty evident to us is that people were more passionate about their temporal opinions of what was happening in that year than the gospel issues. And so we wanted to look at, well, what does walking in Him together look like? Uh, what does it mean that you were never saved individually just to sit by yourself and be a Christian by yourself, but you were saved into a body of Christ, our body, to work out that salvation? What does it mean that we, the, the corporateness of the we all through the New Testament, working out our salvation together what does that look like? And 1 John really, 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 really teaches on that and touches on that. So we're going through 1 John for seven months together to look at this in-depth teaching and letter to, uh, from an apostle, the, the last surviving apostle that was a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a direct disciple of Jesus. This is written at the end of the first century. All the other apostles have been martyred for their faith. And one of the cool things that I love about John is he's also the only one who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And he's the only one who died of old age, truly showing us that Jesus meant what he said when he said, if you try to cling on your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to let go of it for my sake, you'll discover it. And the only one willing to die with Jesus was the only one who lived a full life and died of old age. The rest were martyred for their faith. And so here we see this guy at the end of the first century. It's believed to be overseeing a bunch of churches. He writes in, in Revelation 2, 3, and 4 to 7, uh, to 2 and 3, sorry, to 7 of these churches. So believe these letters were to these churches he oversaw. It's a very pastoral letter about walking in him together. And so we're going to go through a passage soon, but... Before we did that, we just wanted to show a video. Uh, some of you were with us a few months ago, and as the, the conflict in, in Ukraine started stirring up, we took up an offering, and together out of missions and what came in, we were able to give $8,000 towards the Ukraine relief. Amen. Put your hands together for yourselves. You guys are incredible. The thing I want to brag about is this was like two weeks after we took up $13,000 for the flood relief of northern New South Wales. So once again, put your hands together. That is absolutely phenomenal. 
But uh, we decided with that $8,000, the board and I, which is Pastor Graham and Kim, who's on a couple of weeks holiday, uh, are the official board. We also have some people sitting on in advisory role, hopefully coming on the board soon. Michelle Garga, wherever she is, is absolutely brilliant, and Ben Sinclair. And so we chatted about that, and we've given $4,000, went to Pastor Richard Green, who oversees C3 Ride in Sydney. But for our movement, he oversees... Uh, the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia. So in 2016, I got to do a trip with him to Kazakhstan and it was incredible, but really exposed to what was happening over there. And he, um, he went to Ukraine for a few weeks and because it's being recorded, I won't say much more about things he was able to take, but he was able to really be hands and feet and provide finances, wages, food, things like that in a, in a very incredible capacity. And I spoke to him at conference. We were just at a, a C3 Australia conference for pastors and talking to him there last week. He was flying out last Monday. I believe he was, he was flying out again. So if that happened, I haven't heard since. He's meant to be in Ukraine again right now. And so we were able to give $4,000 there, which, which went to work. It's already been put to good use. And then one of our members, Marsha, I'm not sure where she is right now, but Marsha, uh, she's in kids' church. What a legend. She is from Ukraine. Absolute legend. She's wonderful. Her good friend, she's from the Ukraine. Her good friend is still there. And the principal of a, a local Christian school, that once the conflict hit, um, they, everyone in their community lost work. A bunch of people in their community left, obviously, to escape to, to Poland or other places. And they kept the school running as like a, a place of uh, feeding families who had lost work in the street. So, so far, we've given $4,000 to them as well. Uh, we're going to keep a little bit going a month. We decided to give another $1,000 this month, and we're just monitoring it through Marsha, how we can continue to help there. But this is the video, isn't it right, Dan's? Is it good to go of the principal? Yep, perfect, uh, of how our money's helped and life over there. Incredible. One more time. Incredible. Thank you all so much. Really want to thank, honestly, it doesn't get uh, happen enough, Kev and Dan's and the sound team and Tash at the back. You guys are amazing. I was chatting to Kev the other day. Now that we're streaming live to YouTube, welcome. Love you guys as well. Uh, we're also, you know, the, the camera's streaming out there and here and the sound mixer here. And Kev's like, just so you know, 
Whenever we set it up, there are 18 little things for us to check to make sure all the settings are correct. Not just the big settings, that's every week as well, but there's 18 new small things to make sure this works with that. And I was like, I'll never complain again. Thank you so much, Kev, for everything you do. Because I look at it, it looks like a spaceship. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, good. That's anyway. So that's uh, part of our missions. We've been able to help there and we'll continue to help. So thank you guys for everything you're doing. Absolutely amazing. All right. You ready for First John? If I can encourage you, please continue to read First John during the week. If you are willing, I'd love you to go on Kurong online. I didn't want to do an order here for a bunch myself, but it's like 22 or $24. There's a little commentary on First John by John Stott. John Stott. It is phenomenal. It is absolutely brilliant. And uh, the balance on a Sunday, if, as you can imagine is I always want someone that doesn't know Jesus and has never been to church to walk in and understand at least what's going on and what's being said. I, I, even if they choose to disagree with me about the gospel and the solo you know, deity of Christ is the only way to heaven, even if you disagree, that's fine, but I want you to be able to understand it. I never want to be able to go too deep, but I'm also called, in my opinion, to deepen, uh, strengthen a Christian's faith journey. So you understand the wrestle <laughs> in a single message, which is why I'm encouraging you in your own time, do deeper study. I cannot, even with seven months in these five chapters, I cannot do First John enough service as it, it calls us to study and go deeper into what Jesus is saying to us through the Apostle John. So I beg you, do some study, read John, go deeper, and you, you'll discover so much. You'll be like, Dan didn't even touch on this. I'll be like, I know, but you did it. It's a great job. All right, 1 John uh, chapter 2. I had verses 3 to 6 today, but I'm going to bring back in verses 1 and 2 just because I believe that uh, we, I want us to keep learning to read in context, even though we're kind of zooming in and deep diving on like a couple of verses each preach. Let's keep also going back to a helicopter view of the whole book or the, the thought or the chapter, what's going on there, so we don't create uh, doctrine or theology that's incorrect. You, there's a simple rule, always interpret Scripture with Scripture. So don't look at one Scripture like, I think it's saying that, so I guess it means that. I think it's saying this, but what I'm interpreting there doesn't make sense in the paragraph. It doesn't make sense in terms of the, the whole book, therefore I'm interpreting it wrong. What could it be saying? Look at other translations, look at deeper, look at the Greek, look at the message, look at what's going on here. Interpret Scripture with Scripture. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Thank you. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. Amen. Preach it, Siri. I love you. Yvonne, you're wonderful. Yvonne's so tech savvy. She's probably got something set up over there. You're incredible. Now, this is the bit I had for this week, but it, uh, as you can understand, I'll touch on it when I'm done, but this bit in and of itself, if we apply it, is only going to create Pharisees. 
It's only going to create self-righteous people. So let's read this and adopt it because it's beautiful scripture through the lens of the book. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. See, if someone claims, I know God, but, they, but doesn't obey God's commandments, well, that person is a liar. The truth is not living in them. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you are continuously doing in us. Yes, we thank you for saving us and making us born again, regenerating us, filling us Holy Spirit. But we thank you that you have not retired. We thank you that you are still at work in us. And so God, I pray that you would give us a revelation of the balance of, of what does sanctification look like? What, what does working out our salvation for the rest of our days here on earth look like? Give us that revelation so that we don't lean too far to, 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 to liberalism or too far to licentious kind of freedom where we stay in the middle of grace and truth. Help us to find that balance. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. One more verse is uh, James chapter 2, if you're taking notes. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Well, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. The, the balance I want us to fight for today once again is, Lord, Help me not slip into this, this, this legalism, right? Like where all of my Christian journey and my Christian walk is don't do this, make sure you do this, stop doing that. And if my actions are holy and biblical, then you love me and accept me and you're happy with me today. Help me not step into that legalism that really is a Pharisee. You got, I've been asking myself a lot the last two years because a lot of churches I know are talking about discipleship more and more. But some of them just keep saying, live like Jesus. And I'm like, well, cool. But I think there's got to be more to that. Because surely the only people, remember, the only people Jesus rebuked when he came to earth were the Pharisees who were doing the law well. They knew the law inside and out. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Jesus called, uh, John the Baptist called them brood of vipers. What it showed was even though their actions were perfect, their heart was so empty of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, the one true God. So help us not slip into this legalism where it so much matters how I live, but help me not slip into antinomianism, this licentiousness where it's like, woo, grace of God is so good and so big. Doesn't matter how what I do on the weekend. Doesn't matter how I live my life, I can do what I want when I want because there's grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Antinomianism. Nomianism is like law. Antinomianism means now that we're in Christ, there's no law. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. Grace will cover you. Both are damaging. Both are wrong. Both aren't Scripture. <laughs> what we see is Jesus came full of grace and truth. 
And the balance I want us to fight for today is living in grace and truth out of relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason I wanted to jump back into verse one is to look at this beautiful passage about what Jesus has already done for us, amen? Uh, I want us to look at number one, and I know I talk about this a lot. I'm gonna talk about it till the day I die, but I want us to look at the gospel view of what is receiving salvation. What is being saved? I'm gonna look at that today. But I then want us to look at, then what does it look like to have fruit of salvation? John the Baptist says this wild statement in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Matthew 3, 8. John the Baptist, he's baptizing people. And he looks up at the Pharisees who are coming to get baptized. And oh, it's just crazy. He calls them brood of vipers. And he says this, go and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Go and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, what it can sound like if we don't interpret it correctly is, go and show me, change your life now, get your life in order, stop sinning, surrender your life to God, and then you are worthy of repenting and coming near Jesus Christ. That's what it can sound like. But that is so not what he's saying at all. He's literally saying, show me through your actions that you've actually repented in your heart. Go and bear fruit. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. He's like, live a life that shows me your heart has been transformed by the gospel. And that's what we are called to do as well, friends. We are called to bear fruit. So I want to touch on that. But number one, receiving salvation. Salvation was completely accomplished by Jesus Christ. We touch on this a lot. We touched on it again at Easter. But this verse is incredible. In John chapter 2, verse 1, if I can have that, Tash. Uh, John is the only word. I want to put the New King James up here. John is the only author to use this word, propitiation. Who has heard of that word? Beautiful word. Beautiful word. Sometimes people in their um, well-being, I will say, but in their emotional view of what is love and what is good and what is God, they hate this word. They hate the meaning of this word because what this word, he himself is the propitiation, literally means in my place. It, it, would, it gives me the most peace to hold on to a view of atonement that's called penal substitutionary atonement. That's the one I have the most peace with. And what it literally means is sin has a penalty. If that's it, there's a penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. There's a penalty due to sin. We can't just sin and still everyone gets to heaven. I'm sorry, I don't believe in universalism. No matter how you live your life, you're going to be in heaven anyway. We're all going to be sipping on mimosas and it's going to be fantastic. I can't hold on to that when I actually read the Bible. I can hold on to that when I watch movies, but not when I read the Bible. There's a penalty of sin. And then Jesus in His grace is propitiation. He steps in our place, substitutionary. He steps in and he's, it's God in my place. He takes the full wrath of God on the cross for us, for us. That is what leads to atonement. The reason atonement, if you break it down, can be into at one, atone bring you up to right relationship with God. The reason you can have a relationship with God is because Jesus took your place on the cross. Cool? 
That is what propitiation is. And I, you know, sometimes people come up to me and they're like, oh, it just paints a picture of an angry God who's punishing his kid. I'm like, I don't view it that way. I think it paints a picture of a gracious Jesus who loves us so much that he took our place in death. I think I put up there John 10, 18, when he's talking about himself as the good shepherd. He says, no one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. You see what I mean? It's not an angry God punishing a boy. It's it's a God going, I love people so much. I'll take their place in death. Now, I don't want to go too deep into that. We did that uh, over Easter and previously. But this John chapter 1, verse 1, is literally how we can be saved. And I need you to get that. Jesus took your place in death, the only way you can be saved. You cannot be saved from stop, stopping certain actions that the Western world called sin. You cannot, be stopped, you cannot be saved through getting your life in order and, and, and looking like a good Christian. It doesn't work, friends. It's literally only through looking at Jesus going, wow, you were in my place. Thank you, Lord. Now that is salvation achieved. But what does salvation applied look like? What does it look like to be saved? Okay, this is the next section, all out of these couple of verses. What does a Christian actually look like biblically? Right here. Verse 3, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. I'm going to get on to the obey his commands. But first thing, what does a Christian look like? Someone who knows God. God, we know you. It's not just I know about you. It's not I just I go to church and hear about you. I know you. Right in the Bible, in, in, we, we read in, in uh, 1 John as well, when we've been reading this book, chapter 1, Verses 1 to 4 really set the tone, right? It was like, guys, we've experienced him. I'm telling you about someone I actually saw. I actually touched him. I actually heard him. I've experienced him. Now I have fellowship with him. It's, that's all verses 1 to 4. That's salvation, friends, right? We know him. That is what we want to say in Christ. We know him. I refer to it a lot. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7, 8, and 10. I want to know Christ. He says, I count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen. So salvation applied to you doesn't look just like being here every week. It doesn't look just like being on a roster. It doesn't look just like giving. First and foremost, it looks like knowing Him. We have to get the priority right. Oh, oh. So I'm so passionate. This is so crucial. I pray regularly here and outside. I pray regularly. God, help us kill religion in our heart and help us give birth to relationship again and again. I don't want to come here next Sunday morning because it's church time. Tick a box. Learn when to lift my hands. Learn when to give. Learn when to do these things. Learn when to do that. Walk home unchanged. I want to come here surrounded by God's people. I want to come into the presence of God. I want us to be a holy generation, a royal priesthood. I want us to be that kind of people who come together and expect the very presence of God to fall and shift and change and impact us. That's knowing Him, amen? That's killing Christianity. Kill religion and say yes to relationship. Starts with knowing him. The second thing he goes on to, there's just three things that it says in this passage. This is what a Christian looks like. 
We know Him. Verse 5, it says, Those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. So it's not just knowing Him, we love Him. Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays, Oh, that you would know the love of Jesus which surpasses knowledge. I talk on it a lot if you haven't heard it. Isn't it wild he wants, he's praying that we would know something that surpasses knowledge? Seems like a contradiction, right? But it's, it's beautiful. He's like saying, I pray that you would gnosko. It's this heartfelt revelation of something that surpasses gnosis. He's literally praying, I pray that you would catch the love of God that you will never, ever, ever truly understand. Isn't it wild to think that Jesus was perfect but loved you so much he died in your place? Oh, oh, I can't even fathom that. I can't explain that. But that is salvation, right? We know him. We love him. And as we looked at last year, we live in Him, the third thing. Verse 6 says, those who say they live in God should live their lives just as Jesus did. Preached on this countless times as well. John chapter 15, He is the true vine. Amen. We are the branches. In verse 4, He says, abide in me, live in me, and I in you. As the branch, you and I, cannot bear fruit of itself. That's what we're about to talk about. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, Christian. <laughs> Say it with all the love in my heart. You cannot live like Jesus in the way He wants you to live without abiding in Him. Anything else is religion. So now we look at how, how is salvation accomplished? Jesus in my place, propitiation. Okay, cool. What does salvation applied look like? We know Him. We love Him. We live in Him. Amen? Amen? Beautiful. So what if someone says that and their life goes on unchanged? What if just maybe the most damaging thing about Christianity the last three decades was not necessarily, not necessarily bad teaching or corrupt moral big leaders of big churches or fallings or failings? What if it was the average Christian? What if it was most people like you and me filling the seats who never invited Jesus in to convict us and change us? I might get shot for this, whatever. We can all throw stones at Brian Houston if you want, but have you looked at yourself first? I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying there's things there that shouldn't be brought up and, and really discussed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm not going to be the one to throw a stone. Jesus said, "He without sin, you can cast a stone. So I'm the first one to drop it. Because I know what's in here. And I've got to be honest with you. I worship sometimes to the point of tearing up at how much I, I think I know Jesus and how much I think I love Jesus and how much I think think I, I live in Jesus and thank him for being my propitiation and then I go and get in the car and someone cuts me off and something demonic comes out <laughs> my son Abel will just lose his temper for the sake of it and things that come up and thoughts it's like wow we I thought I was further along than this and what I'm exposed to is what I would say is a biblical truth 
that salvation is knowing him and, and loving him and, and living in him, but we are then called to continuously work out that salvation. We are called to bear fruit. And the one thing I want to stress, we're going to look at this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm not looking at the time. We are called to this. The one thing I want to stress is it scares me that some of you guys would try to act holier so it would seem to other people like you have a deeper relationship with Jesus. The one thing I'm trying to stir and birth in your heart again and again and again, especially today, is I beg you, fight to spend time with Jesus. Fight to make time to sit with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in silence, sometimes worship, sometimes the Word of God, whatever, but just sit with Him. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh today. Because I recognize in Galatians 5, 22, that only you can bear that fruit of the Spirit. I recognize that my job as the branch is to do nothing more than fight to get living water inside me. It's not to focus on fruit. You've never called me to that. You focused. You want me to focus on living water. So I'm going to focus on living water. But then I'm also going to keep reflecting on my life this last week. I'm going to reflect on my life this last month. I'm going to reflect on my life this last, so far in 2022. And if I'm not seeing fruit, then I need to question what's going on when I'm sitting in the presence of God. I'm going to question if I'm hearing conviction or promptings that I'm squashing, that I'm not acting on. And so when we get into the presence of God, what I want us to do is not try to be perfect, but try to be closer to Him. I don't interpret... I don't interpret verses 3 to 6 as act better, church. I interpret verses 3 to 6 as walk closer. It's not get your act together. It's get to Him. So the fruit of salvation, what does it look like? Well, let's look at the beautiful gospel truths before we look at effort and what we have to do. But in, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I think I get there, it is. This is what God promised to do at your salvation. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit inside you. I'll take out that old stony, stubborn heart. I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. And watch this. And then I'll put my spirit in you so that you'll follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You can't do it in your own strength. It's not up to you. But it is up to you to ask the Holy Spirit, fill me again today. Fill me again today. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you so bad. I'm so lost without you. Holy Spirit, when I put my spirit in you, he is going to help you obey my commands. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. I think I sent that to Denz as well. Oh, look at me go. You're awesome, Denz. All right. Those who have been born into God's family, is that you and I? Well, we do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. I've had to sit with people who read the second half of that verse and they're like, but I keep struggling with sin. That means I'm not saved, right? I'm like, that just, no, that's not what it means at all. What I'm looking for are you willfully choosing it. 
Are you practicing that sin? Are you like, woo, can't wait for the weekend to look at some porn, woo! Let's be real about struggles. It's a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. You think Christians are exempt from it? Can't wait for the weekend to get drunk. Sleep around, do a bunch of drugs. going to be fantastic. Yoo! Jesus, give me a J. <laughs> Not that J. <laughs> I'm never alarmed when I sit with someone who is telling me they're wrestling with sin. They're like, man, I just keep struggling. I just keep going back to this thing. I'm like, oh, same as me. Same as most people. Same as everyone. I'm alarmed when someone tells me about habits that they don't question. I'm alarmed when someone talks about things in their language or they're partaking in things and there's no conviction. For me, that's the sign that I'm not sure if God's done a work in your heart just yet. But when I sit with someone, you know, I've, I, I, countless people, lust, power, greed, bitterness, gossip, unforgiveness, but there's conviction. I'm like, yeah, but how good's that? There's conviction. What that is, is the Holy Spirit wooing you, telling you, hey, that's not okay. That's not, that's not the way I want you to live. Come back to me. This is why John Owen, 15th century theologian, says this famous line, I love it. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's not about perfection, Christian, but it is about progress. It's about just pushing into him more and more and more, bringing him into the struggle and the sin and asking him to help. That's what we looked at last week or the week before, week before that. First John chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, God is light. Amen? There is no darkness in him at all. Oh, there it is. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God. We're Christians. I go to church. I own all of the Elevation albums and worship songs. But we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not, there's that word again, practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I love how it finishes there. Because it's like, hey, don't go on practicing sin and living in darkness. Come to the light. And when you come to the light and you practice and you live like Jesus does, there's forgiveness. <laughs> the reason I love it is He's not saying, come be perfect. He's like, just come walk with me. And that's what... Verse 1 of chapter 2 said, hey, I'm writing these things so you won't sin. But if you do, Jesus has got you. He's your advocate in heaven pleading your case. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lord, I am doing my best to walk in the light. I want to walk with you. I want to know you more. I, I want to live like you, Jesus. And I thank you that when I unintentionally and unwillfully sin, which happens again and again, and stuff up and drop the ball, thank you that you are my advocate in heaven. Thank you that you plead our case, Jesus. Thank you that you are so for us. So Lord, as I continue walking in the line, working out this salvation, I thank you that you have not left me alone, but you are with me, helping me. Thank you, Lord. And that's what he says he promised to do. Oh, so before I get to that, I love this John Bunyan quote. John Bunyan, um, I think it was 16th, 1500s, 1600s, um, Gets married, his wife is like, you know, teaches him to read and write kind of thing. And he gets arrested because he gets saved through his wife. And so he goes out preaching the gospel in a time where you weren't allowed to do that. He's in prison for 12 years. 
and he writes this book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And the book The Pilgrim's Progress is the most printed book worldwide outside of the Bible. If you haven't read it yet, I beg you to read it. It's an allegory of our Christian journey that is so flippin' powerful. It's wonderful. But John Bunyan said this, if people really see that Christ has removed the fear of punishment from them by taking it into himself, salvation, right? There, Jesus took it. If people actually see that, well, they won't do whatever they want. They'll do whatever he wants. See that? So now what I'm begging you to catch this gospel revelation, it's truly a gospel revelation. I'm not asking you to act better this week. I'm asking you to push into him more this week. And if you and I truly push into him more, we'll start to live like him more. It will happen. It will. If we fight to make time to be with Jesus, he will produce fruit through us. And I say this with love. If you're not seeing change or progress or fruit, I would suggest that maybe you aren't creating enough space with him. So a question, rhetorical question, a loving question What struggle in your world now are you actively asking the Holy Spirit to come and help you with? We all have struggles. What is your struggle, a specific one, that you are identifying and intentionally asking, Holy Spirit, can you come and help me with this today? Don't don't blanket it. Don't be like, oh, in the coming future. Today, Monday morning, me again I haven't got the church I haven't got the worship team helping me it's just me and you God can you help me with this because I really struggle with this that's sanctification bring God into it and when you bring God into it I'll finish with this this is so flipping good we go back to verse one well I'm writing these things church so that you won't sin but if you do we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Again, as I've quoted at the start of the, the service today, Hebrews 7, 25, therefore Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Through him. Jesus lives forever. Amen? To intercede with God on your behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it's not up to me to act holy, God. Thank you that it's not up to me to to act righteous. But thank you that it, it is allowed of me to step into your presence because what you did on the cross. And the further and the closer I draw near to you and your light, God, the more my darkness or sin is exposed. And the more I see that sin, the more I resent that sin because I understand that that sin is what put the Saviour I love on the cross. So I will not choose that sin anymore, Lord. I'll choose you. I'll keep my eyes on you. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, let us run with endurance this Christian race that is set before us, throwing aside the sin that so easily trips us up. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despised its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we thank you that you not only saved us, you not only started our faith journey, you are perfecting it. So we re-surrender our life to you this morning, Jesus. We say, help, help us. Not because the goal is acting holy, not because the goal is looking a certain way, but we want to kill sin. We wanna say yes to righteousness and you, Jesus, you, we wanna say yes to living your way like you. So help us because we totally recognise that we are lost without you. Holy Spirit, fill us right now, I pray. I pray. I pray. Fill us again, Holy Spirit. We intentionally stop, stand in your presence and drink living water. This he said, speaking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. But now you've been given Holy Spirit, so we drink. We need you more, not just for the sake of some feeling, some kind of euphoria. God, we want you. We want you. More of you, God. Help us to see that we've been purchased at a high price and called to glorify God through our bodies. Help us to see that the win is not just acting like you. The win is being becoming one with you in your presence, being intertwined and closer again and again and again. Help us to decrease so you can increase in us, God. We pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. I'm going to stay down the front after the service. Two things. One, if you walked in and you didn't know Jesus, you're like, I'm not a Christian. I don't have a relationship with him. But if God's done something in your heart in this service, in the worship or the preaching of his word, if something's shifted in your heart, nothing would bring me more joy than getting to pray with you. So I'm going to wait right there. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to pray with you. The other thing, while Carla keeps playing, is I'm going to open up this altar. If you're here, and you are bold enough to admit, you don't have to say what it is, but if you're bold enough to admit there is recurring sin in your world that you haven't been able to, to get rid of, to overcome, and you would like one of our Sozo leaders or one of our prayer team to stand with you and pray for that, I want you to come on up. We're going to pray with you. We want to stand with you. We want to invite God into your heart again. Holy Spirit will fill you again. And we want to see God do a wonderful work in your life. Amen. I'm going to hand it back to Kurt to close the service.